Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Good morning. I'm Pastor Ben, and I would like to welcome you into my personal living room for church with us here at New Life Lutheran. What you are about to experience will be a little bit different than anything you are used to if you've joined us for worship before here at New Life Lutheran. If you are accustomed to our traditional worship service, you will normally see me in an Alban stole working through the long-held patterns prescribed by the Lutheran Book of Worship. If our modern worship service is more your thing, you are probably used to our worship band starting us off with music to sing along to to worship God, and I follow that up with a sermon where I'm typically wearing something quite a bit less formal than an alb and and stole. But no matter your preferred worship service, today will be different from all of the worship services you've ever experienced at New Life. And if you are part of the New Life family, you probably already know why it's going to be so unique today. You see, just recently we found out that one of our core ministry staff members tested positive for COVID-19. And due to the close working nature of our ministry staff, we were prompted by the health department to take steps in order to ensure the safety of our new life family, which will involve closing our campus through October 27th and not having in-person worship gatherings this week or the following weekend. Because of these adjustments today, Pastor Eric, Danny, our modern worship director, and myself will be welcoming you into our individual homes where we are quarantined to bring you God's truth. So this morning, I'm going to begin with the sermon. Pastor Eric will follow with the empowerment of Holy Communion, and Danny will continue with a special song. Then I'll come back and I'll close with some engagement questions to challenge us to internalize and live out God's word in our lives this week and beyond. Now, due to this necessary pivot, there will be a few elements that are typically within our worship services that will not be provided for the next couple of weeks. One of those elements is our weekly children's sermon. Despite this disappointment, I have some good news. Each week, our children's ministry team has worked hard to empower and equip parents by providing an online at-home Sunday school lesson complete with music, a Bible story, and a memory verse. Now, I can't speak for all of the parents here at New Life, but I know that my kids love getting connected through New Life's kids' Facebook page to sing, learn, and memorize scripture. At our home, after we pray together as a family before our meals, my three-year-old loves to share with us her monthly memory verse from what she is learning through the efforts of our children's ministry team. So if you have not gotten connected yet, this should be the day. Right after our service, get logged into Facebook so that the whole family can grow in their faith on this Sunday or whenever you're joining us for worship. Well, as I said before, welcome to my living room, a place that I never thought I'd be giving a sermon from. However, 
I don't believe that there is a better place to close out the next two weeks of our sermon series, More Conversations with Jesus, than my living room. Because if I had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Jesus, this is where it would be. Right here with my kids, with my wife, with my dogs, in the most intimate of locations, my very home. So as you watch me from probably your living room, I want you to imagine welcoming Jesus into your home, into your living room, the place where you go to relax and just be yourself. Just imagine him knocking on your front door and you welcoming him in to sit on your couch. Maybe he finds a spot on a comfy seat, maybe even your lazy boy, and you get the opportunity to ask him your question. What would that question be? Well, today, one of you requested that we would ask Jesus a question that I have personally wondered and wrestled with myself throughout my life. The question is this, if we are saved by faith in Jesus, what happens to all of those people who have never heard about Christ in our modern world or in the past? So let's ask Jesus that question. Let's imagine that he is sitting right here next to me. And if he was, I would ask this question like this. Jesus, people have been asking a, a lot of questions about heaven and hell recently in church. And I'm sure that it is because of this reality that we are all going through together with this virus infecting our community and globe. People just are not sure about their future, not sure about their family's future. They have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring. So they begin to take heaven and hell very seriously. And this got me thinking. What happens to those who haven't heard about you? I mean, there are all those people who lived before you were here, all those people who have lived after you were here, and not everyone has the Bible in their language. Not everyone knows a Christian. It just does not seem right that they would be denied an opportunity to go to heaven just because of the time in which they lived or the location in which they are allowed to live in the present day. Now, at that question, I just imagine Jesus pausing as if to take in the magnitude of the question as if any question really is truly hard for him. And he responds in the most Jesus-like way by saying, Ben, why don't you tell me about your wife? Now this awkward question kind of catches me off guard. So I asked Jesus, well, what would you like to know? And Jesus clarifies by saying, why don't you just tell me about your love story? When did you first notice her and what happened after that? Well, Jesus, I first noticed my wife while we were attending Concordia University together. I was the RA of her brother, Floor, and at our first brother-sister Floor event, I simply noticed that there was a cute girl who was into sports, and I thought, hey, maybe we'll be friends. Over the course of that year, we would hang out occasionally, but I never thought really that much of it. Then about a week before school was coming to a close, we decided to watch a movie together. Now, I can't quite explain it, but in that moment, I began to see her very differently. The summer would be filled with Facebook messages back and forth as I tried to gauge her interest, well, not receiving much interest in return, but finally, school would start back up so I could see if there was something more to this friendship. But once again, I got very little response from her until one day 
I was walking out of Walmart with one of my friends who just happened to be a girl, and she was walking into Walmart with another guy. It was this awkward hello as we passed each other. where We both knew that we should be walking into Walmart together or walking out of Walmart together. It was clear that we were with the wrong people. We soon would start dating and fall in love. And then, of course, and this is where Jesus interjects. And he says, wait, 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 wait. Hold that thought. I want to hear the story, but I want to hear the rest later. Right now, I want us to turn to the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans was written by Paul. He was an amazing, an amazing, an amazing man. And he was desperate to bring my story to everyone who had not heard, no matter how far he had to go. Well, as you and I move into the scripture part of our sermon, if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab your Bible, get a pen. Maybe you even want a notebook to kind of jot down some some thoughts that are coming to your mind that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind. But we're going to begin in Romans, the first chapter. Specifically, we're going to start in verse 16 and work our way all through to twenty, the 25th verse in the first chapter. And this is where we're going to find our answer today. But this is where Paul starts. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. So, first of all, I think it's important to start by defining our terms. What is the gospel? You see, the gospel is a word that simply means good news. So, what is this good news? Well, for that, I need you to hold on We'll get to that here in a moment. But before we get there, I think we need to acknowledge how weird this opening statement is. You see, why would we be ashamed of good news? When you were getting married, were you ashamed? When you graduated high school, were you ashamed? When you retired, were you ashamed? When you had your first grandchild, were you ashamed? Outside of some really bizarre circumstances, of course you weren't ashamed. You posted about on your Facebook wall, you sent out postcards, you called your friends, and it was the hot topic of conversation at all of your coffee engagements. So what makes this good news so different than those examples? That somehow there is some sort of inherent shame involved. It doesn't really make sense. So maybe we need some more clarity on what this good news is. This is where Paul goes next. He says, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. So, the good news is something that saves people who have faith. If we have faith, if we have trust, if we believe, we are saved. But what are we saved from, and how are we saved? Now, if you have been around church for a while, you know the answer. We are saved from our sin, our imperfection, that disallows us to go to the place of perfection, which is heaven, And we are saved by Christ's perfect work on the cross. And it's this relationship that allows us to be in perfect relationship with God when this life comes to its conclusion. Once again, this is great news. So I don't know if I understand why we should be ashamed of it. Maybe there is some limitation that causes some form of shame. This is what, but this is what Paul says about those who have access to this good news. He writes down for us, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Now I have to confess that this translation is awkward in this regard. It seems to be implying that Jewish people can be saved and people from Greece can be saved, but that is not actually the implication. You see, this Greek word translated into English is the word ethnos, which is better translated into the word that, that we would say is Gentile, meaning everyone who's not Jew. In fact, if you're reading from a different translation, it probably says the word Gentile instead of, instead of Greek. The bottom line is that the good news is available for all, Jewish people and non-Jewish people, which is the whole encompassing group. It's all of humanity, black and white, rich and poor, young and old, the smartest people in the world, and those who struggle to learn. So far, everything seems great. It's a gift available to all. So let's continue in verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Now we are starting to get into the awkwardness of this good news. You see, some have it through faith, which implies there is a different group. If one group is saved by faith, then by necessity, the other group is not in relationship with God due to a lack of faith. So let's read about them in, in verse 18. This is what Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. So here is the crazy thing to me. Not only why would we be ashamed of good news, but also why would some people not want it to be true? The only thing that I can think of is that it asks something from us. Because if we believe in Jesus' work on the cross, then you have to believe in his words before the cross. And if you believe in his words and who he is, then you better listen and follow what he says. Here's the problem. This is the problem with us as humans. We don't want to be told what to do because the natural implication of Christ being who he said he was is that the Bible is true. It means the Bible is eternal truth that far surpasses what we think, feel, or what the ever-shifting truth of the world or culture is telling us. That means that our lives should and will change if Jesus is truly the king of our lives. And for most Americans, it is that simple. We have heard of Jesus. The question is just if we will follow him or not. Because in America, there are a lot of churches. There are TV preachers, there are radio programs, there are podcasts, and the list goes on. So everyone kind of knows about Jesus. And so everyone has a chance to know Jesus. So this is where these next words are so relevant to our context as Americans. This is what Paul says in, in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For Americans, it is plain to us, because we have TV, radio, the Bible, smartphones, and churches all around our community. So this is true about us. But what about those on a remote island? They don't have TV, radio, the Bible, or missionaries available to them. As much as this is possible in our day, in, in Paul's day, it was really the norm. People didn't know about Jesus. 
which is why Paul was so passionate about traveling as far as he had to go to tell as many people as possible about the story of Christ. So what about those people? What about the people in our modern day who haven't heard? Well, here's the answer in verse 20. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. This answers so many questions. What about those before Jesus? How about those who have never heard of Jesus? The answer is that God reveals himself through creation. So how does this work? Well, Paul answers in, in verse 21. He says, For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came, became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. So, since the beginning of the world to today, everyone in all times have been able to see the complexity and magnitude of creation. And if there is a creation, then by necessity, there must be a creator. Because we all know that nothing cannot create everything. It never could. So when I eat or drink, I'm not amazed how everything just appeared. Because I know I went out and I bought the food, I cooked the food, and now I'm eating the food. Now, my wife might beg to differ, and I think that sometimes when she makes the food, she thinks I think it just magically appears, right? So sometimes we kind of get that as husbands. We might have people think that we think things just appear. But, but seriously, we get this, right? I don't just get into my truck and think it just appeared. I know I had to make a trade to get my truck. I know that someone built my truck and all the components of my truck so I can drive it around. And the same is true for all of us if we're, if we're logical. The same is true of creation. You see, I would have to go to great lengths to try to explain away the uncaused cause, which is God. I would have to work very hard to go through the mental gymnastics to explain away a creator. But what is the outcome? Applying this type of mental gymnastics? Well, Paul actually goes there next in verse 22 and 23. He says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being, or birds, or four-footed animals, or reptiles. So what happens when you only look at the creation and not pay attention to the creator? You begin to worship the creation. You begin to worship the things of this world. For humanity, this leaves us with really two options. We worship the world. Or we worship the creator of the world. Well, Paul closes with more of the same in verse 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. Now, this leads us to another question. Jesus, why would you let humanity make this choice if that choice would lead them to be completely separated from their creator. After all, wouldn't it be easier to not hold them accountable? If everyone was automatically in the family, wouldn't it be the most loving way? So Jesus responds. He says, yes, it would be easier 
but it would not be loving. And so I respond, explain. He says, well, first, tell me what happened after you first noticed your wife, after you first intentionally pursued your wife, and once you fell in love with your wife. I said, well, I asked her to marry me. Did you force her to marry you, or did you ask her to marry you? Well, Jesus, I, I asked her, of course. Exactly. Everyone has the light of creation. And if they respond to that light, more light is made available so that relationship can grow. And as it, grow, it sh- as it grows, it shifts into a beautiful relationship that is fully revealed in heaven. And then Jesus gets up and he walks out of my front door and he just leaves, leaving you and, and leaving See, this week, as I've reflected on this, I've wondered this about myself, and I think it's something worth wondering about yourself. Why are we so concerned about those we will never meet, but we have long forgotten about those down the street? You see, everyone has the light of creation, but not everyone has you in their life as their neighbor, their coworker, your family member or friend. There ain't no reason for you to deny.